Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me as always as we get ready to close out yet another week of hell in Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, coming up here on the days and weeks ahead, we've got the great Matt Gates, Jack Posovic, uh, Riley Gaines is going to join us. Can't wait for all of these conversations. Jesse Kelly on American communism. You know me, Park, who fled North Korea, and she's got some really serious words of warning for the rest of us here in America with the descent of full-blown communism here and full-blown government control. All of these conversations are going to be phenomenal. Also, next week, we're going to get a legislative preview from the House of Representatives from an amazing member of Congress who has been here before. He's going to join us again out of Tennessee, Andy Ogles. He's also filed for impeachment against Joe Biden. We're going to find out where all of that stands, because guess what? It looks like Kevin McCarthy, and it looks like some other Republicans as well, might be going a little weak in the knees. So we're going to find out where all of this is going because, man alive, they have not learned their lesson. Some of them have. We've got big fighters out there like Gates. He's going to join us in the days and weeks ahead. Um, But they are like few and far between. Marjorie Taylor Greene out there, she's, she's taking some heat now too because even though she said she is not going to vote for this budget that's coming up at the end of this month, these budget negotiations, more government spending theater happening. Uh, we are so done with this. We are so done. Th- these Republicans have no concept of how done we are with all of this. This whole government spending pantomime that they do every couple of months or once a year, and they pretend that they're interested in cutting spending, and they're not, and they never do. And they go for another short-term spending bill, a CR or something, and they never address the spending. They just don't. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene has said she's not voting for another penny of spending until certain things are addressed, and good for her uh, with that. But she's also taking heed on the other side because of the January 6 tapes. So Kevin McCarthy promised that he would release all of the January 6 surveillance footage from the Capitol. We're talking tens of thousands of hours. Now, Tucker Carlson got some. And uh, he put them on the air, and then he was swiftly removed from his perch at Fox News. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or it was one of many factors. I don't know. 
But McCarthy had made this promise, and we still haven't seen all of that footage. Well, everybody wants to see it all. We're demanding that we see it all. There are people who are making arguments, look, we we need to curate this a little bit because if you just throw out 30,000 hours of footage, nobody knows what context it's happening in. So you got to give it to people like Julie Kelly, for example, who has been on top of this from the very beginning and can really spend the time examining every minute of these tapes and then put it all into context, piece it together so that we can understand what we're actually seeing here rather than just hours of raw footage. So there is an argument to be made for that. I get it. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is out there now protecting McCarthy, who has not released any of this footage. And she's saying, well, we've got to curate it. We've got, so she's out there making the argument. She's taken a world of, of heat over this. But by and large, you know, she's been a real fighter on a whole range of issues. We do have some who are out there fighting the good fight, but so many others on the GOP side are far too willing to aid and abet what the left is doing, their massive destruction of this country. And again, we are at this tipping point now, guys. So every cowardly Republican is worse than a cowardly Republican from, say, 20, 30 years ago. This whole assault has been going on, like I've been telling you, since the 1930s. And we are now in the end game. Republicans in the 1950s, 1960s, the 1970s, 80s, even the 90s, they, they didn't really have a concept of what was going on because the infiltration and the communist attack and the globalist attack, it was all happening below the radar for the most part. And, you know, our side was focused on other things, starting small businesses, sending your kids to school, raising your families, building a career, you know, living your life. Whereas the left only has a single-minded mission to take down America, remake it as a a communist system, and now they're working hand-in-glove as they have for the last 30 years with the globalists. So there's another much bigger layer on top of all of this. Go back and listen to my conversation with Mel Kay from a couple of weeks ago, an amazing conversation about the globalist assault on our country. But they're all working together. So the Republicans of yesteryear can at least be excused somewhat because the assault on America was happening at a lower intensity. It was still going on relentlessly, but it was at a lower vibe, okay, because they didn't want to attract attention to themselves. Now we are in the end game. This is the final play. We're at a tipping point. And so the Republicans who still don't get it or they still don't want to get it or they're, they do get it and they're aiding and abetting the other side, they are particularly despicable. I'm thinking of Mitt Romney off the top of my head, but also Mitch McConnell. There are so many others who are just, they're either corrupt in themselves like Mitch McConnell and his wife have been making money out of China for, uh, oh my God, decades, decades. And Mitt Romney is just Trump derangement syndrome and establishment type. By the way, I want my, my vote for Romney in 2012. I want it back. Can I get that back? What a fraud. 
So the Republicans of today who are in the middle of this and actually in positions of authority and responsibility to fight this fight in its end stages here and either stand idly by and zip their lip or are actively aiding and abetting the left, I have no time for you. Get out. Get out. This is a war for the future of the country. You know, uh, this morning I was listening to Fox Business. I think it was the Varney Show. And he had former Vice President Mike Pence on. Mike Pence is a very nice man. You know, I interacted with him a bit, not a lot, but a bit when I was over at the Treasury Department. He is a lovely man. Okay, he's smart. He's a conservative. But he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Or he gets it, and he's not willing to fight the fight. And I'm sorry, but we are in an emergency to save our country. We are in a war to save our country. And if you don't get it, then you need to get out. You need to get out of the way. For those of us like me, you, President Trump, Matt Gates, so many others who do get it and are willing to fight this fight. Pence this morning was out there talking about, I mean... He's talking about good policies, but he's like, we have to go and educate the American people on uh, the benefits of, of energy independence. We have to go talk to them about lower taxes, lower regulations, how to build a healthy economy. Guys, I'm not saying all of that stuff is not important. Of course, it's important. But we're out here fighting an old-fashioned style of political uh, uh, persuasion. We're out here, over here, talking about policy. While the left and the Democrats and the propaganda press are over here waging a relentless war, including putting their political opposition in prison. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more screwing around with, well, if we only taught the American people about the benefits of tax cuts, what? No, this is not 1980. This is not 1968. This is not 1996. This is a war for the future of the country. And if you don't get it, or if you're not willing to articulate it as I just have, and understand what we're up against, and have the cojones to fight, then there is no place for you in the Republican Party or in this America First movement. I'm sorry, but there's not. So you can go off and retire from politics, Vice President Pence, because you're going nowhere in this Republican primary. And you can retire back to Indiana, enjoy more of your family, make a ton of money as a lobbyist or go on the board of Raytheon or whatever you're going to do and enjoy your life and leave the fight to the rest of us who actually do see the threat clearly and are willing to stand up and fight. We have fighters on this show. We are fighters. You're a fighter. You're listening. Everybody, all of your, your friends who are listening to this show, we are fighters. We're not going to back down. And that includes taking on Barack Obama, who we're going to get to here in just a moment because there were some headlines yesterday involving Barack Obama, in case you didn't notice. We're going to talk about that here 
in just a moment. Also, later on today's show, the great Larry Elder, who is running for the Republican nomination for president. Um, As you guys all know, I am supporting President Trump, but Larry Elder has been a longtime friend, and he's just lovely and brilliant, and he's taking on issues in this campaign that nobody else really is, including the epidemic of fatherlessness in America. So he's going to join us here in a couple of minutes to talk about that and a lot of other things, including what he's hearing out there on the campaign trail. Larry Elder. Straight up. Uh, First, though, the Monica memo. I kind of gave you a mini memo there on (laughs) the Republicans. And if you don't get it, get out. That was a that was a bonus Monica memo. How do you like that? Here's another Monica memo for you. The two H's. Hunter and Harris. Let's begin with Hunter, shall we? So uh, Hunter Biden is one of the biggest hot messes I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there are bad boys, and then there's Hunter Biden. Hunter has redefined bad boy. Um, So he has been deeply engaged in a whole array of crimes for many, many years, from um, soliciting prostitutes to drug use um, to moving prostitutes across uh, state lines to, of course, the biggest of them all, uh, oh, to the gun charges, of course, uh, throwing a gun in a dumpster outside of school, I think it was. like, And so he has been off the charts criminal for many, many years. And of course, the biggest of them all is the alleged bribery scandal that we're getting more and more information about every single day. Hunter, of course, was the Biden family bagman. They took the most vulnerable in the family, the addict, the ultimate uh, bad boy, the ultimate criminal, and just said, well, since Hunter is already a criminal, why don't we just ramp up the criminality? Let's just stick more crimes on Hunter. That'll work. So Hunter was the bag man for the family because obviously the family could not live on the, what, $130,000 a year salary that Joe Biden was making as uh, a U.S. senator and then maybe a little bit more as vice president. Obviously, they couldn't live on that. So they needed more money and they were like, well, let's just leverage his offices, including the office of the vice presidency. Why not? Let's do it. Nobody will find out. And if they do, we have the press in our pocket. So nobody will report this. Nobody will amplify it. Nobody will care. We'll get away with it. I mean, my God, if Ted Kennedy could get away with killing a woman and then having the Democrat Party turn him into the lion of the Senate, then Joe Biden can get away with some massive bribery bordering on treason. Why not? Let's try it out. So they did, and it worked to the tune of, what, tens of millions of dollars. In fact, James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, uh, who's been a guest on the show, we got to get him back. Uh, He has been hip deep in all of this. He is speculating that the Bidens have made between 50 and 80 million dollars. Wrap your minds around that. And then, of course, how much are they paying in taxes? Hunter Biden has been investigated forever on the tax issue because they weren't paying taxes on the bribes. Who would? You're being bribed? Are you going to pay taxes on that? Are you going to report that to the IRS? Dear IRS, here is a $30 million check from China. Yes, it was a bribe. We did nothing for this except 
our office and change American foreign policy for it? How much do I owe? No, of course not. So there are a whole range of crimes here, um, and Hunter Biden is in the middle of it. But just keep in mind, because everybody wants us focused on Hunter, as dirty as Hunter is, there is no bribery. There are, there are really none of these corruption crimes without Joe Biden in high office. So they're using Hunter as a shiny object to distract you from the fact that Joe Biden, the sitting president, air quotes, of the United States, is deeply, deeply corrupt. Textbook bribery, taking tens of millions of dollars from foreign entities, regimes, organizations to enrich himself and his family, but also to change American policy. That is the other part of this equation that very few people are talking about. They're just focused on, oh, Joe Biden, you know, he just wanted to get richer, so he took the money so he could buy yet another beach house. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But he changed American policy, or at the very least, leaned on American policy. Getting the Ukrainian prosecutor fired, who was looking into the corruption at Burisma, where Hunter was making over $83,000 a month to do nothing except lean on his father to uh, lean on U.S. government policy with regard to Ukraine and Russia. This is what I'm talking about. It's, it is the question of uh, whether or not Joe Biden as vice president of the United States, and God knows what he's doing now as president, air quotes, God knows what he's doing in terms of selling out America uh, while he's in the Oval Office. We don't know. That is yet to be found out. Maybe he's not doing it at all. Maybe he's doing a ton. I don't know. But we're focused on what he was doing as senator and certainly as vice president. And he had American policy changed and I'm sure we're just hearing the beginnings of that as well. And so the, the big overall question throughout all of this is, was and is Joe Biden representing the American people and American interests, or is he representing his own and those of his family? That is the question. And that gets to the heart of all of this bribery and, and all of these allegations of corruption. So getting back to our first H, Hunter, they want you focused on Hunter. And David Weiss, who has been appointed this special counsel, which is a joke, uh, but his office has indicated yesterday that by the end of this month, I I think September 29th, they do plan to indict Hunter on the gun charge. Now, while all of that is fine, okay, and good, I mean, because he did commit these gun crimes, allegedly, Um, he is going to be indicted for that. That's fine. I'm happy to see that. But keep in mind a couple of things here. Okay. They do want you focused on Hunter, so you're not focused on Joe. They are going after the gun charge, maybe to prevent the other bigger stuff from going forward. Maybe it's part of a deal. Don't know. While I am glad to see this indictment finally happening, they've been investigating this for, what, five or six years? A very straightforward gun charge. If you did what Hunter did, mm, 
they would have had you, <laughs> they would have had you in the legal crosshairs like within 48 hours. Uh, they were investigating this guy. They were slow walking it. They did not want to bring charges. And the only reason they are is because that sweetheart plea deal blew up. And now they're like, crap, we got to go forward with this, you know? So they're doing that. It remains to be seen if other charges related to uh, the tax uh, issues. And then as this investigation really gets going in the House, the impeachment inquiry, whether or not the bribery, money laundering, influence peddling, if all of that stuff is going to come to the fore with Hunter as well. So while it's good that he's being indicted on the gun charge, uh, make no mistake, this is like a relatively minor thing in the big scheme of things. They want you focused on it, and they want you focused on it for another big reason. The big reason that they want you focused on this is because they have gone after Donald Trump with a whole range of indictments, 91 counts. They're seeking hundreds of years in prison for Joe Biden's chief political rival, um, and so they want to be able to come to the American people, you and me, and say, oh, look, uh, we don't have an unfair justice system. We don't have a two-tiered justice system. We apply the law equally. Look, we've gone after Donald Trump, but oh, looky here, we've also gone after the president, air quotes, the president's son on this gun charge. So the DOJ, uh, the FBI, we are all fair over here. This is a fair application of the law. Look, we, ha- we are not driven by politics at all. We've gone after Trump. We've gone after Biden there. And that's how they're going to try to tie it all up for you in a neat bow. We know that is pure BS. Straight up BS. This gun charge is like a nothing thing compared to the extent and depth of the Biden family corruption, of which Hunter was the ringleader. Joe Biden was the master of the game, but Hunter was the ringleader. So do not be distracted by this. Don't go, oh, okay, I guess it's all over and we're even now. No way. Absolutely not. So that's our first H today. Our second H is Kamala Harris. Now, Kamala Harris went to the ASEAN summit. This is in Asia. It's an economic summit. Uh, Big economic players on the scene. There's also a big G20 meeting coming up as well. President Xi of China is not going to be there. Joe Biden expressed his disappointment that Xi of China is not coming, I guess because he expected his next bribery check to be hand-delivered by Xi. And now Xi is going to have to send it through the mail. That's a bummer. So Kamala Harris is in Asia. She's in Indonesia, and she sat for an interview. I don't know why her team keeps putting her in front of people on camera because she is so bad at this. How she is still so bad at this, I have no idea, but she is. And yet they keep rolling her out. So this uh, Indonesian reporter asked her, you know, like, hey, man, you know, your boss is pretty old. He didn't say it like that. He was more diplomatic. But I cut to the chase on this show. Your boss is pretty old. He's, uh, he's pretty out of it. So uh, if you had to step in to the big job, are you ready to do so? Here is her answer. Yes, I'm answering your hypothetical. Um, but Joe Biden's going to be fine. But every vice president, every vice president understands that when 
they take the oath that they must be very clear about the responsibility they may have to take over the job of being president. I am no different. Oh, well, then I guess Kamala is ready because she says so. (laughs) Kamala Harris is so not ready for the top job. Well, neither is Biden. But uh, I digress. Kamala Harris as president. You know, Nikki Haley has been um, using a line, which I think is really good. She's been saying a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala because, you know, obviously Joe Biden is not going to make this. He may not even make it the next five minutes, never mind the next five years. So a vote for Biden is a vote for Kamala. And I, I think that's a very effective line. Look, Kamala Harris is the most unpopular vice president in modern American history. Maybe they think that they can move out Biden and make her president and then have her run as an incumbent. Maybe that's their plan to run the first woman of color as president. I I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. But if that's their plan, that is not a good one. Because Kamala Harris will lose to any Republican, especially Donald Trump, but any Republican in a landslide. I mean, the Democrats, of course, are going to rig this and steal it. But if it were a clean election, she would lose in a a landslide. Maybe that's why they're going to run her, because they know they're going to steal it, and they have all of the rigging ready to go, and so it doesn't matter. They could run a wet mop, okay? They could run a gerbil for president and still win because they have it all rigged. I don't know what they're thinking. Okay, maybe maybe Kamala is the new basement strategy. I don't know. But as you know, we've been talking about some of the alternatives, and when you take a look at these polls that are coming at us fast and furious, Biden is in big poll danger. Most Democrats want an alternative. They think he's too old. He can't do it. They don't want him. They don't even like him anymore, if they ever did. So they want an alternative, they want a stronger candidate. But the left's powers that be, they're either going to calculate, we run Biden and or Harris and do it in a new basement strategy. You know, they're trying to relaunch medical tyranny with COVID. They're going to try to pull that again. It's not going to work this time, but they're going to try. If they believe that they can pull it off again with Biden and or Harris, they will. If they believe that they have the rigging down where it doesn't really matter who they run, then they may run either or both of them. But if they're not entirely confident about that, then they will reach for an alternative who is stronger, whether it's a Gavin Newsom, although Kamala Harris's team out of the White House, they're putting the kibosh on that. They're reaching out to Governor Newsom in Sacramento and basically saying, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. I love blue on blue political, like rhetorical violence, don't you? <laughs> don't even think about it, Gavin. Um, but, you know, Michelle Obama still remains a possibility. But that brings us to Barack. Uh, Barack who we haven't seen in a while, but is clearly the puppet master of this entire administration. We have said this a million times. I see other people now talking about Obama's third term. I think I may have been the very first person to use that phrase a long time ago uh, when Biden came in. This is Obama's third term. And as I always say, they want a fourth and a fifth and maybe even beyond. 
And that's the reason they would reach for Michelle, because that's the person they could more easily control, just like they're easily controlling Joe Biden. And by the way, all of this bribery stuff happened while Biden was vice president under Barack Obama. What did Obama know and when did he know it? Critical question. We are going to cover that in the days and weeks ahead. Obama must not be allowed to continue to skate. What they're doing to protect Joe Biden is also being done to protect Barack Obama. Now, in all of this, um, Barack Obama, (laughs) I mean, yesterday he made some headlines, not the headlines he wanted or headlines that he's used to, but headlines nonetheless. Tucker Carlson interviewed a man named Larry Sinclair, uh, who claims that back in 1999, he met a younger Barack Obama outside a bar and on a couple of occasions uh, did cocaine together. Barack smoked it, and they engaged in sexual relations. It's an amazing conversation. Check it out at Tucker Carlson uh, on Twitter. He posted it yesterday. It's had tens of millions of views. Go and check it out. Um, There were no receipts produced, no communications, no physical evidence, nothing like that. No no equivalent of Monica Lewinsky's dress, okay? Um, But this guy from the very beginning has told his story now for years, and he's been very consistent in the story with details, etc. So you go up there, check out the interview with Larry Sinclair on Tucker's Twitter feed, and assess for yourself. I found him very credible. You may not, but go check it out. The point is not whether or not Barack Obama is gay, or whether or not Barack Obama did drugs, which, you know, he's admitted to in the past. The point here is that Barack Obama has been a total fraud. Barack Obama was the biggest fraud ever inflicted on this country. Everything about Obama's personal history was a well-crafted lie. And in 2008, you know, the hope and change and all of that BS, in 2008, the country elected this complete stranger, who had long been groomed for the role of president. And that stranger continues to, in his words, fundamentally transform the nation. That's why this matters. He was a stranger then, and this whole crap show that we're living through right now, it didn't originate with Obama, but it went on steroids with Obama. And it continues now in Obama's third term, That's why this is important. He came to us as a stranger. He remains a stranger. He remains a fraud. And this fraud continues to run the country today. That's why it matters. And that's why throughout, uh, you know, the upcoming weeks and moving forward, we're going to be all over this because you need to know exactly who Obama is Go look at my, my last book, What the Bleep Just Happened. It lays out everything he did and a lot of that personal history. I wrote that book in 2012. It's as relevant today as it was then. It lays out a lot about his personal history that even back then we knew was a lie. Nobody in the propaganda press would cover it. And they were warned, if you cover this, you will not have access to him. 
And of course, everybody in the press wants access to power. And they thought Obama was hip and cool. You know, first black president, they all fell in love with him. And the country went to hell in a handbasket and continues to go to hell in a handbasket as a result of this absolute con that was uh, inflicted on all of us. All right. Let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to the upcoming presidential race with our good friend Larry Elder. He's going to join us about a whole range of topics and what he's hearing out there on the campaign trail. Sit tight. Well, I am absolutely delighted to welcome my longtime friend, talk radio colleague, and now, I'm excited to say, Republican presidential candidate, Larry Elder. His website is LarryElder.com, so go there, check it out, check him out, and you will love him as I do. He joins us now. Hi, Larry. Monica, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it is my great pleasure, and I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've been very busy crisscrossing the country, but I got to start with this question, which I think everybody wants to know. You know, you and I met as talk radio colleagues and television colleagues. You have had this phenomenal career in media, very successful, out there changing minds, persuading, educating why did you decide to leave that path and jump into being a candidate for elective office first last year for governor of California and now for president? You know, Monica, I, I never thought in a million years I'd ever run for anything. I ran for third grade class president before you ask. Yes, I won that race. So I'm batting, <laughs> so I'm batting 500. But so many people I respected, uh, my pastor, Jack Hibbs, Dennis Prager, without whom I wouldn't be in radio, and a couple of other people I really respect approached me and told me that I might be able to make a difference. It was a recall election, not a straight up election. So a Republican has not been elected in California, Monica, in 20 years. Mm -hmm. But this was a recall election. People were upset about the the lockdowns, upset about the crime, upset about the fact that people are leaving uh, the state for the first time. And I thought maybe if enough people were upset uh, the second part of the ballot, which is the replacement side, the person that got the most number of votes would win. So if you look at all the votes cast, I could conceivably have won with as little as 25% of the total votes cast, assuming the ball bounced the right way. That's why I tried it. Uh, it wasn't successful, but I, but I, in uh, eight weeks, I raised $27 million. On the replacement side, California has 58 counties. We carried 57 of 58 counties. Um, I got 150,000 individual donations. 75,000 of them came from outside of California. And when the race was over, I went down to Key West with my girlfriend. And the reason I gained 10 pounds is because so many people said, are you the guy that ran for governor? Yeah, I, I contributed to your, to your campaign. Drinks are on me. Dinner's on me. And they all said, why don't you run for president? And at first I thought they were smoking something. <laughs> and then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, frankly, it'd be easier for me to be elected president of the United States in a 50-50 country than elected statewide in California where Republicans are outnumbered three to one. Uh, and then I knew that there were some issues. As much as I am a fan of Donald Trump, I supported him in 2016, uh, 2020, and I will campaign for him again in 2024 if he wants me to, if assuming he's a nominee. But there are issues even he isn't talking about. You mentioned this earlier, the epidemic of fatherlessness. This is particularly acute in the black community, Monica, where 70 percent of black kids enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. 
up from 25% back in 1965. And the numbers are clear. Uh, when you're raised without a father, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Now, nobody's talking about this. The left doesn't talk about it because they created it with their so-called war on poverty, which Lyndon Johnson launched in the mid-60s, that in my opinion has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility and that's not to denigrate the hard job that single moms have done in raising these kids, but it's much, much more difficult. Our side does not talk about it, Monica, because if you're white, you're going to be accused of, of racism. If you're black, you'll be called, as I was by the L.A. Times, the black face of white supremacy. The other reason I'm running, Monica, is because we need to far more effectively deal with this lie the Democrats push every year, and that is a, that, that America is systemically racist. Uh, Joe Biden at uh, Howard University a few weeks ago gave a commencement exercise and said the number one threat to the homeland was white supremacy. Really, the Anti-Defamation League keeps track of how many extremists kill people every year. And last year, 25 people were killed by extremists uh, of, of any race of, of, of the extremists. So it's just a lie. And uh, as you know, a few days ago, a racist white man in Jacksonville, Florida, murdered three black people. And, of course, Joe Biden said something about it because it advances his narrative. What he didn't say was that at two or three months ago in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a black man gets a gun, walks up to a white guy, shoots him in the back of the head, kills him, execution style, goes to another part of Tulsa, Oklahoma, pulls out a gun and shoots that white guy in the back of the head, kills him, execution style. And the black guy that did this admitted he did it because they were white. Biden didn't say a darn thing because it does not advance his agenda. Now, the fact is most homicide is same-race homicide. Most blacks are killed by other blacks. Most whites are killed by other, other whites. However, every year there are roughly two, 750 interracial black-white homicides. And the fact is 500 whites are killed by blacks, even though blacks are 13 percent of the population. 250 blacks are killed by whites, even though whites are 60 percent of the population. Now, anybody white saying that there is a uh, epidemic of black supremacy, and that's the number one threat to the homeland, would be denounced as a racial demagogue because these are individuals committing these crimes, not racist. Yet Biden says it and gets away with it. And I don't think our side effectively deals with this. Finally, we have a huge crisis of K-12 through education in urban America. We're just to pick one city, Baltimore. 13 public high schools in Baltimore. I kid you not, 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. Yet the Democratic Party opposes school choice because the teachers' union uh, is one of their biggest funders. Even as a party elite, whether it's Barack Obama or Joe Biden or um, – Gavin Newsom have their own kids in private schools. It is an absolute outrage. And I don't think our side has elevated this problem to the level it should be. You know, those three core issues, Larry, that you are running on, you've made them the centerpieces of your campaign. And this is why it is so critical that people listen to you. Um, you know, we've got we've got this race where Donald Trump is incredibly dominant. He's up by 40, 50, even beyond uh, points over the rest of the pack, including you. But he is not particularly raising some of these issues and certainly not in the way that you are. And because you are a black man who has experienced a lot of this and seen it up close and been talking about it for a really long time, you bring a level of credibility to these issues that, frankly, nobody else can or or will. So this is what makes your campaign so critically important. I want to break down 
the fatherlessness crisis, because I've heard you speak on this for a, a long time. This is not, you're not a Johnny come lately or like, well, I'm going to run for president. So I'll start talking about this now. You've been talking about this for a long time. Right. President Obama, who's been in the headlines over the last couple of days. But Obama gave a speech when he was first running in 2008, before he was elected. And he drew attention to this crisis. And he spoke directly to black men. He spoke directly to the black community. And his promise was, look, if you elect me, I am going to make this a key pillar of my presidency. Well, he gave one speech about it, Right. And that was the end of that. And then never addressed it again in eight years as president. And I said at the time, I said, look, I'm not voting for Obama. I consider him a dangerous political figure. I think he's going to destroy the country, which he did. But I said, this one issue is the issue that could actually bring everybody together. All races, right. all political divides, everybody could come together mm-hmm. on this one issue. He refused to do it. So he was full of crap at the time. He did nothing. And look, he's got a beautiful family. He's got two beautiful daughters. He's got an intact family. Great role model on this issue. And he did not lift a finger. So can you address that? And if you're elected president, um, you know, what, what, how would you follow through on this? So people know you're not just making a stand like Obama did. You know, and you're right. Obama did address this issue in a speech. He even cited the same numbers I cited. Uh, and then Jesse Jackson accused him of, quote, talking down to black people, close quote, and the man promptly shut up. Uh, he was a fraud on the issue. He's been a fraud on lots of issues. One of the reasons I believe Barack Obama got elected, uh, I was in the arena in 2004 uh, in Boston when he gave that speech. And he said, there's no blue America, there's no red America, there's just one America, no black America, no white America, there's just one America. People went nuts. And I watched the 60 Minutes interview that he did when he was running against Hillary. And he was asked by the correspondent, Senator, if you don't get the nomination, will it be because of race? And Obama said, no, it'll be because I've not articulated a vision that the American people uh, can embrace. Uh, At uh, a black church before uh, the campaign, during the campaign, he talked about how much racism there was in America. And he said the Moses generation, referring to the generation of Martin Luther King, Monica, got us, quote, 90 percent of the way there, close quote. My generation, uh, he said the Joshua generation, has to get us an additional 10%. I thought that was reasonable. There was a Fox opinion poll in 2002. 8% of Americans believe it is possible that Elvis is still alive. My point is you have to pretty much write off around 8 or 10% of the American people. Uh, and so what, what Obama was essentially saying is we pretty much have realized MLK's dream. So he gets into office. And both blacks and whites thought race relations would improve. He got walked into office with a 70 percent approval rating. Think about that. He got elected with 52 percent of the vote. When he walked into the Oval Office the third week of January 2009, he was at 70 percent. Why? Because so many Americans who didn't vote for him said, at the very least, he'll stop the nonsense that America remains systemically racist. Right. For the eight years he's in office, one race card after another from the Cambridge police acted stupidly. If I had a son, he looked like Trayvon. In an interview, he said that America has racism in its DNA. He embraced Black Lives Matter. He invoked Ferguson. He had Al Sharpen over the White House over 70 times. He had an uh, AG, Eric Holder, 
who, who said that voter ID was pernicious racism. He did it over and over and over again to the point where in his second term, two officers were killed execution style by a black man who was angry over the false narrative that the police were engaging in systemic racism. Three officers were killed by another black man in Baton Rouge uh, who was motivated by the same thing. Five officers killed execution style in Dallas by another black man motivated by the same rhetoric. So Obama's rhetoric got people killed. And when Obama left office, both blacks and whites thought race relations got worse. So he was a fraud on the issue of fatherlessness and a fraud on the issue of, of America being one America and we're not racially divided. He divided us racially. As to what to do about the epidemic of fatherless, fatherlessness, uh, first of all, recognize government can't solve it. Government created the problem. The problem can only be solved by the actions of individuals. Every one of these kids growing up without a dad needs to have a male role model. And I'm urging members of my generation, the baby boom generation, who have retired or about ready to retire, they're vigorous, they're healthy, they've raised their kids, they've nurtured their grandkids to become mentors and step up. And if you don't want to do that or, or can't do that, you can at least donate money and resources to organizations in your own community that are doing this kind of work. My church is the Calvary Chapel Church of Chino Hills. My pastor is Jack Hibbs. They have a program where they literally go door to door in places like Harlem to offer mentorships. They need money, they need resources, they need hands. And I'm going to be urging people from my position as the bully pulpit to get involved. Also, Monica, we're spending a lot of money at the federal level and at the capital level in various states on programs that just do not work. We ought to be able to direct our tax dollars for organizations, including churches in our own neighborhoods that are doing this kind of work where we know that their efforts are having a positive result. That's what we ought to be able to do. And that's the kind of legislation I'm going to be suggesting that Congress pass. And that requires real leadership, which Obama was not willing to give on this issue. And it's because the Democrats have a long standing vested interest in keeping the black community down and, and you know, for a perpetual voting block. To me, it's been a crime against humanity with the black community in America for many decades by the Democrats. You have been willing to call them out on that, which is a tremendous service to this country, Larry. And that that is actual leadership here in, in a very complicated and very sensitive area, but you're willing to take it on. Also taking on the political weaponization of the racism smear. Um, you know, you mentioned the violence and black-on-black violence and so on. Barack Obama came out of Chicago. Chicago is the murder capital of the country, I believe. And the black-on-black violence, the homicide rate, they're out of control. He never once addressed that because it doesn't fit the narrative. No, and nor, nor did Biden. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, there were over 53 people shot in Chicago, 11 fatally. And Biden didn't say one word. I was on the Charlemagne the God show recently, Monica. Yes. And I talked about this epidemic of fatherlessness and they weren't feeling it. And I said, look, a black man aged 13 to 43, according to the CDC, is 13 times more likely to be murdered than a white male. Same demo. The number one cause preventable death for for white men 19 years and, and younger is accidents like car accidents or drownings or drug overdoses. The number one cause of preventable death for a black male 19 years and younger is homicide, almost always done by another young black male. Blacks account for 60% of the homicides, 60% of the shootings, 60% of the robberies in America. If it isn't the epidemic of fatherlessness, and assuming you're not prepared to say that blacks are just genetically inclined to commit more crime than white people, please tell me what's going on here. And he had no answer. I saw that 
and millions of others have, have seen your conversation with Charlemagne the God on The Breakfast Club as well. And gosh, Larry, you laid it out, man, and you did render him speechless, which is not easy to do because Charlemagne is very opinionated here. But when you come at these people with the facts and with with logic, it really does sort of shut them up. And Charlemagne at least is intellectually honest, right? Like when you were laying it out, he was like, all right, man, you know, I yeah. hear you. Yeah. Uh, and, and I reminded him that Joe Biden said to him, you ain't really black, right. quote, unless you know whether you want to vote for me or vote for Donald Trump. And the man wasn't even insulted. <clears throat> this is how condescending people like Biden uh, is, uh, how condescending the, the left is towards black people. And they treat black people like they're some sort of alien beings, as opposed to people concerned about crime, bad schools, and making sure they get good jobs. That's what the Democratic Party is all about, telling black people that they're victims, uh, that, they're, that they're entitled to something, making them a, a grievance class. So they pull that lever for the Democratic Party because the party has successfully marketed, marketed itself as a party of social justice and equity, whatever that means, and has vilified the Democratic Party as a party of racism. And this is really pretty remarkable when you consider – Democratic Party is the party of slavery, the party of the Confederacy, the party of Jim Crow, the party of the Southern Manifesto, the party of Dred Scott, the party that uh, assaulted the family, as we talked about earlier, the party that opposes school choice, the party of open borders, uh, when illegal aliens pose the biggest economic threat to uh, unskilled black people living in the inner city than any other group. This is the party that's done all this uh, to black people, yet they still get 90 percent or so of the black vote, at least in recent years. And um, one of the things I'm going to do during the campaign is to address some of these issues so that we, they, we break this marriage between the Democratic Party and black voters. Do you start to see some hemorrhaging away from the Democrats by black voters? I mean, Donald Trump was able to to, you know, increase it a little bit. I mean, it's Rome wasn't built in a day. So, you know, it's right. not going to turn around overnight. But, you know, I've seen a lot of conversation, particularly since Trump's mugshot, um, you know, that blacks, Latinos, people who have felt that the, the justice system in this country has been unfair to them and to, you know, their their racial groups. And now they're saying, hey, man, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to either vote for Trump or I'm going to start looking at the Republican Party because Democrats are doing nothing for us and they haven't. Are you seeing that in any kind of real way as you're out I, on the I, campaign trail? I absolutely am. Consider this. Barack Obama, when he ran, only 4% of blacks voted for the Republican Party. Right. When he ran for re-election, uh, presiding over the worst economic recovery since 1949, uh, he got uh, the Republicans got 6% of the black vote. Donald Trump ran in 2016 and said, what do you have to lose? Your schools are bad. Talked about crime. He got 8% of the black vote. He governed over the best economy ever for black people. Yes. And when he ran in 2020, he got 12% of the black vote, a 50% increase over what he got four years earlier, and he got 20% of the black male vote. That's why people like Biden is doubling down on this nonsense about America being systemically racist, this, this lie about the police going after black people because they're black, and the lie that the number one problem facing America is white supremacy because they know this is going in the wrong direction. And by the way, that's why I believe the RNC uh, did not want me on that debate stage. As you know, I qualified. Uh, I got 40,000 individual donors as, as they requested. I had to submit three polls where I was at 1% or better, and I did. Then I get a phone call from Ronna McDaniel uh, and David Bozzi, the um, 
debates are, and they tell me that you're not qualified because one of the polls you submitted, Rasmussen, is affiliated with the Trump campaign. I said, assuming that's true, why is that my problem? And they said, well, any campaign uh, poll that's affiliated with another campaign can't be used by anybody else. And then Rasmussen put out a statement and said, we're not affiliated with the Trump campaign. There's no reason why Elder can't use us. So I submitted a fourth one, uh, and they said you submitted it too late. So I filed a complaint with the Federal Election Commission. My lawyer is a former chair of the FEC, and he claims that by failing to apply the debate criteria fairly to Elder, uh, what the RNC did essentially was to make an in-kind contribution to the eight people that made it. So they could be subject to a fine as much as $100 uh, million. Wow. And I told them on the day of the, of the debate, by 2 o'clock, if you don't change your mind and get me up there, I'm going to file the complaint. They didn't, so we filed the complaint. Now I'm launching tomorrow a 400000 ad $400,000 ad blitz to get my numbers up to 3%, which is what the threshold level is now. I, I need to get 3% in three different polls to qualify for the next debate at the Ronald Reagan Library on the 27th of September. And um, uh, I have to get 50,000 individual donors. And we're, I don't believe I'm, we're going to have difficulty getting getting to that level. But the 3% part is going to be harder because I wasn't on the debate stage in Milwaukee making the case that I've made with you. Well, this is why I wanted to have you on this program today, Larry, because not only are you my longtime friend, but you do belong on that stage. I think what they did to you in the first debate was unconscionable. You deserve to be on the second debate stage on September 27th, which, by the way, that debate is happening in your backyard, right, in California. So you, you absolutely need to be on that stage. I wanted to have you here so this audience can help you out as well, however they can. Go to Larry's website, LarryElder.com. You you can make a contribution. You can check him out. You can see all the other issues um, and the stance he takes on the border, on on the economy, on inflation, uh, energy independence, all of it. Please go check out Larry Elder. You deserve to be on that stage. These are the conversations that the nation needs to be having. We need to educate and inspire all voters with regard to those particular issues that we've talked about here, that you are making the centerpieces of your campaign, Larry. You're making a tremendous contribution, not just to this race, but to our national dialogue. And we're so grateful to you. Well, Monica, thank you so much for having me. By the way, I was not only not allowed on the debate stage, they put a sign at the door telling security not to let Larry Elder in or his campaign in. So now apparently I've made the RNC terror watch list. <laughs> Who knew that they had one? I guess now that now we know that. I mean, it's they're all just completely useless and it is beyond frustrating and infuriating. You know, I have more respect for like an AOC who tells you exactly who she is, what she believes, what she intends to do than I do for some of these BS Republicans who talk a good line and then behind the back, you know, stab you in the back. So uh, we will do whatever it takes to help you out, Larry, because you're such a valuable president in this race and for the country. So God bless you. Monica, thank you so much for having me. God bless you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Larry Elder, GOP candidate for president. He deserves to be up on that stage. Help him however you can. Go check him out, LarryElder.com. 
All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, next week, we're going to be joined by the great Riley Gaines. That is going to be an incredible conversation about protecting women and girls and sports and creating actual safe spaces for our young women. Uh, We're also going to get a view from Capitol Hill on impeachment and what we can expect from the Republicans with an actual Republican who's willing to fight on the Hill. That's coming up next week, so don't miss a minute of it. In the meantime, have a great end to your week, and I will see you right back here next Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.